following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Many of you are like myself and my family, and you had to travel back home for the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, Some of you stayed here. Your home is here. Uh, Your family is here. Those who are near and dear to you are right here in Morgan City or in this area. But ours are back in De Quincey. Uh, My in-laws and my mom and my brother and sister, all of their family, uh, to see them, we have to travel uh, quite a bit to go back to our hometown. Uh, Morgan City is now our home. We've bought a house here. We've planted our roots here. Uh, but hometown is still in De Quincey where all of my family is. And many of you, uh, like myself, maybe you were traveling yesterday. Uh, if you weren't, let me just give you an update. Interstate 10 was like the Daytona 500. Uh, did I drive the way I was supposed to have driven? Now, probably not at times, but uh, it seemed like everyone was in a hurry to get somewhere. Uh, their destination uh they were the most important one on the interstate. Man, they was coming in and out, cutting in front of you, slamming on brakes, coming to a screeching halt. Either they were in a hurry to get away from where they had been, <laughs> or they were in a hurry to get back home where they wanted to be. I don't know what kind of a deadline or what made that important to them. <clears throat> but when you think home, uh, when you think about the holidays, I mean the holiday season for some people. Uh, man, it's just a time, it's a family reunion, it's a time to get together and catch up on uh, what's been going on in everyone's lives, visiting friends, visiting loved ones, eating too much, uh, just having a good time. Some people holidays aren't quite like that. Some people going back home brings back bad memories. Uh, for some people who do not get with their family, uh, maybe something has happened there that, uh, you know, the holiday season just brings kind of a dark time in their lives. But nevertheless, going back home always has uh, different memories for many of us. Uh, I have fond memories of going back home. I have fond memories of being around my grandparents and my mom and my dad. Uh, Still get to be with my mom. My dad passed away uh, several years ago. So uh, still have those memories, though. Many of you are like me. Man, you hold on to those memories. Many of you, this is your hometown. You were born and raised here. Uh, you've lived here all of your life. You know of nowhere else. Uh, this is what you call home. Some of you, you have had to leave your hometown. You're like me you, for some reason or another, maybe uh, for a job, maybe for a ministry role. Maybe the Lord has called you to do something else. It has caused you to move your place, your home, your family, your life to another location. And as we think about that, as we enter into as we come through Thanksgiving season into our Christmas season, of course, uh, most of the retailers have been celebrating Christmas for almost two full months now. Christmas trees out, lights, candy, you name it, it's all out there. Uh, lights are already up in many people's yard. Our tree has been up for a couple of weeks now. As we get into the Christmas season, I, I want us to enter into the month of December with, with this thought in mind. Why did Jesus leave his eternal home in glory and come to this earth to be with us. You ever think about that? Why would he give up everything he had? The angels were worshiping him. He was at the right hand of his father. He was there from the beginning. He'll be there to the end. That's what our, le- our Sunday school lesson was on this morning. is about the resurrected king and the returning king, the eternal king. 
Why would he give up all of that to come and be here on this earth? He came here for you. He came here for me. But most importantly, he came here to reveal the true nature of God. As we think about that, I want to I issue another challenge. I issued a 30-day challenge uh, last month. All through November, I've asked that you spend some time in the morning getting in God's Word, having some quiet time letting God speak to you. Since July, we've talked about God opening our ears and speaking to our hearts, learning how to discern His voice in the many different ways that He spoke to us. We've talked about general revelation. We're going to get into that here in just a moment. But the Jesus Christ coming to this earth, God incarnate, God in the flesh, is a special revelation. God spoke through his prophets sometimes. God spoke through his word. But while Jesus was here on this earth, that was God in the flesh dwelling with his creation and letting them see firsthand the true nature of God. The invisible God, the invisible deity became visible when Jesus was born in the manger 2,000 years ago. And so now we want to explore that. As we've been talking about how we can draw closer to God, we've used the uh, passage out of James chapter 4, if you'll, if you'll draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And at Christmas time, here's what I want. I'm, I'm hoping that Jesus Christ will draw closer to you than you've ever experienced before in your life. And if Christmas brings some bad memories, if, if Christmas is just a dark time for you, I'm hoping you can get out of that darkness and come to the light of Jesus Christ during this Christmas time. And so here's the challenge I want to issue to you. Beginning today, get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes during December, try to read through all four of the Gospels. And just witness for yourself firsthand the eyewitness account of those who wrote the Gospel. And let Jesus Christ, let God himself draw near to you during the next 30 days in the month of December. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Our Sunday school this morning, our Sunday school lesson this morning was in Hebrews 1, uh, started in verse 5. We're going to cover the first four verses this morning. You have your copy of God's Word, say amen. amen. All right, let's all stand and we'll go through Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. God's supreme revelation. Verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So a lot of times when you're reading through scripture, you're trying to interpret what a writer is saying, you focus in on certain key words, the two things that we're looking at today in particular is in verse 2, his son, and in verse 3, the express image of his person. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We just thank you so much that it is your desire to draw near to us. And Lord, as we enter into a time where we celebrate your birth, Lord, we're standing here waiting for your return. As we think about the first time that you came to this earth on flesh and, in flesh and blood, help us to consider, Lord God, what our lives look like right now as we anticipate your second return. We just pray, Lord God, that through what we read this morning, Lord God, we just pray that you open our eyes and help us to see the true meaning of why you left your home in glory to be here with us. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So who wrote the book of Hebrews anyway? The letter itself does not contain any indication who the exact writer was. Whoever it was, they were trying to connect the Old Testament and the law, the sacrifices and the rituals to the New Testament. He talks about specifically Jesus Christ being the Son of God, God in the flesh, God incarnate. Some people say it was Paul that wrote the book of Hebrews. Most of the times when Paul wrote a letter, he would inscribe his name to it and say, this is written by my hand. Uh, just so no one would falsely write a letter in his place. Some people say it was Peter himself that wrote the book of Hebrews. Some say it was Luke who wrote the book of Hebrews. We really don't know for sure. But whoever it was, there were several things that they were trying to point out in the sonship of Lord Jesus Christ, being the Prince of Peace, being the eternal King, and the fact that he came to this earth, the of God, to model and express God's characteristics is very, very evident. It's all throughout the book. In the New Testament itself, uh, over 150 times it refers to Jesus as a son. Many of them are right here in the book of Hebrews. So there's four things I want to point out in these four verses here. First of all, in verses 1 two, through 2, we see that Jesus came as a man to provide special revelation the writer points out here, he says, look, God has spoken to us various times and in various ways, and we've explored many of those ways since July. As we've asked God to open our hearts and show us how we can hear his voice better. We've talked about God's word. We've talked about the prophets. We've talked about the, the role of a preacher these days. We've talked about general revelation. We've talked about special revelation. But the writer here points to Jesus specifically saying that God spoke to us in many different ways, but when Jesus came as God incarnate, he came as a special revelation to speak to us directly. He says that at times past, our fathers, have been, they've been spoken to by the prophets, but he said in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So apparently whoever it was that wrote the book of Hebrews had a very close connection to Jesus while he was here on this earth. He is giving an eyewitness account to his sonship and the fact that he spoke and that he was God in the flesh. General revelation. What does it mean? Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter one. We're going to look at several different passages today. General revelation and special revelation. General revelation is basically anyone 
can look around in all of creation and say that there was a divine creator. None of this happened by chance. It says that anybody should be able to look around at the stars in the sky, the birds in the air, the grass, all of creation and say that someone created this and then God can speak through general revelation by that mere fact. Romans chapter one, beginning in verse 18 says this. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them. General revelation, all of the world should be able to look around and God will manifest himself to them for God has shown it to them. Verse 20, it says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were general, uh, were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Relation to Psalm chapter 19, but here the apostle Paul is saying anyone, anywhere, should be able to look around at the evidence that is in creation and say that there was a God who created all of these things. I don't know what catches your attention. I don't know if it's a a beautiful sunrise or sunset. I I don't know if holding a newborn baby in your arms and looking in his eyes and say, how in the world did this happen? I don't know what it is that, that you have to have evidence for to say that there is a God in heaven who created all of these things. But a general revelation by your surroundings, by the things that are taking place in your life, according to the Apostle Paul here, every person should be able to recognize the fact that there is a God. He says his invisible attributes are clearly seen. But what about God's characteristics? Who is this God that we read about? This loving God, this just God, this merciful God. All of our lives, he's been invisible to us. We haven't seen him in physical form. We see evidence that he is there. And when Jesus was talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, look, he says, you can't see the wind. He said, but you can see evidence of it. When you look around, you can see the leaves rustling on the trees. You can see the grass moving in the field. He said, you can't physically see the wind, but the evidence that there is wind is there. It's the same with God. You can't physically see God. You can't put a face or a body on him. You can't reach out and touch him physically, but you can see the evidence that he is there and he is real. That is a general revelation. But what about a special revelation? The writer of Hebrews here is creating a extreme contrast. Old Testament prophets and Jesus Christ coming In the New Testament, for centuries, God used the prophets of old to provide the spoken word and the written word. You think about prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel that we looked at here the past few weeks. Second Peter chapter one, verse 21 says this. It says, for the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the and either entered in these men's brain, he controlled their mouths and their voices or their pens and their, their hands to write the words 
that God gave them. He said, this is how God spoke to us in past. And whoever the writer of Hebrews is now says those times are over. We got to see God in the flesh. We had a special revelation. The last days he's spoken by the prophets of old. But now in these days that we're in right now, he says, God has spoken to us by his son. The writer of Hebrews points to the fact that God attempted to get his creation's attention by speaking multiple times through multiple people, but they just would not listen. Know anybody like that? <laughs> you got anybody around you that you can just talk and talk and talk and talk and all of a sudden they say, were you talking to me, huh? Were you trying to get my attention? Do you know anybody like that? Past few days of people we've been around, I've heard a lot of, huh? <laughs> what? What'd you say? To talk louder and louder and louder. And that's what God is saying here. He says, I've tried to communicate to you. Through these Old Testament prophets, but you just would not listen. So instead, I sent my son as my representative so that you can see my characteristics. You can see my attributes. So it was when God gave them the silent treatment. He said, I tried. And then all of a sudden, I just quit talking. I give up. And for 400 years between the Old Testament prophets, the last writing of the prophets and the New Testaments, there was no new revelation. And then the silence was broken. God no longer spoke through his prophets, but he wrapped himself in flesh and blood. And he came personally in the form of Jesus Christ, the son of God, to reveal his true nature. What the prophets could not relay through their messages, it was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? See, we can get emails from other people, but that don't always do the trick. We can get a text message from someone, but you can't relay any emotion or a tone in that. You can say one thing and really want to put some emphasis in it, but an email or a written letter or a text message is just not going to do the trick. You can even call that person and you can try to explain to them on the phone. They can hear your voice. But somehow or another, that message just does not come through until you get there face-to-face with that person. They see your body language. They see your facial expressions. They hear the tone in your voice. It is only then that the true intent of your message can be relayed to them. And that's why God came to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ, not only to speak the word. Remember what the Pharisees said about Jesus? Said He's one who taught with authority. <laughs> we've never heard anything like it. We've read the Bible. We've read the Old Testament. We've read the prophets. But what he's saying to us makes so much more sense. That's because God came in flesh and blood to relay the message in a way that they had never experienced before. Our transition here to Morgan City, it took quite a few months for us to really get settled in and stabilized. When we first started coming, Marcia and I would come down on the weekends and spend the weekend and then go back. I quit my job back in Lake Charles and started here full time. And it was then that we started making a little bit of a separation. It wasn't what we wanted to do at the time. She would come down on the weekends, come in Friday, Friday evening, Spend the weekend with me and then go back home on Sunday. And anybody that was around me at that time knew 
that on Sunday evening I was going to go into this state of depression <laughs> because my sweetheart was gone. Monday through Friday, we could still talk to each other. We'd send each other text messages all day long. We'd call to each other on the phone a couple of times a day, but it just wasn't the same as having her here with me. So that's why Jesus came to the earth. It's just not the same unless you have that person there with you to really emphasize the message that they're trying to relay. So let me ask you this question. Has the love of Jesus been communicated to you? Has he truly been revealed in your life? Is he more than just some words written on the pages of a book? Or is he in your heart speaking to you each and every day? He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. And the joy that we share when we tarry there, none other has ever known. That's the relationship that I want to have with God. It doesn't happen by accident. And when God has a revelation in your life, when you have that revelation, when you really, really understand who this Jesus is that we talk about and how much he loves you, your life is going to be radically changed. And that's what happened whenever Jesus came to this earth. Everything that they knew about God radically changed because God was there in flesh and blood to reveal to them the true message that he had been trying to relay to them. When, when Jesus came to the earth, he revealed the true nature. The invisible God that for centuries had revealed himself only through the prophets finally made himself visible to mankind. The Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father he has declared him. John chapter 14, Jesus told Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't have to worry and you don't have to wonder about knowing the God because, uh, knowing the Father because he's right here in the form of the Son. So Jesus came as a man to provide special revelation. Point number two, Jesus came as a man to be the incarnation The word incarnation there is the Greek word character, meaning an exact representation or a reproduction, not necessarily a physical bodily representation. But the incarnation means that he came to demonstrate the attributes and the characteristics of this God that we had only heard about. He is the express image of his person. Notice that in verse 3 that the writer puts a, a very high emphasis on this point. And if you don't have this, this line here underlined or highlighted, I challenge you to do that. Of his glory and the express image of his person. The image of God, the Imago Dei, it's a Latin term. It's, connect, it's the connection between God and man. The Imago Dei is unique to human beings. Nothing else in all of creation has the Imago Dei. And this goes all the way back to Genesis 1.27 when God says, Let us make man in our image. 
not necessarily in human form, not necessarily in physical appearance, but humans are in the image of God in a moral, spiritual, and intellectual essence. This makes human beings so much different and distinct from all other creation. Here's several important details about this Imago Dei as it applies to humans. First of all, it's in universal with the human race. It hasn't been lost as a result of sin and the fall of man. And it is not present in any one person more than any other person. We all have an equal amount of God's image in us. But here in Hebrews, Jesus becomes the express image of God for the matter of identifying and interacting with his creation to display in human form what they have only heard about for centuries. To draw near to us, God created us in his image. Now to draw near to him, We look to Jesus as the express image and as our example. Not only was he there for us to see a better image of God, but he came to be a role model and a demonstration and an example for us. Man, that old saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's one reason right there that Jesus came as God incarnate and in the flesh. So we would know exactly what would Jesus do because it's written right here in the page of the scriptures from an eyewitness account. The son radiates his own glory and expresses the very character of God. Our new living translation that we're going through in a year. Haven't quite got there yet. It's not remember that you'll hit this particular passage, but that's how the new living translation words this exact phrase. It says, the sun radiates God's own glory. Man, just think about it. That that, that little baby in a manger, all he knew how to do was cry. All he knew how to do was sleep. But even as a little baby, he was God in the flesh. Born of a virgin. Born in a stable, a stinking manger. Yet he was the express image of God laying right there. And he was for all of mankind from the highest to the lowest, from the shepherds in the field to the kings from the east. Everybody got to witness the glory of God radiating from this baby Jesus. And now the writer here is saying that Jesus the son is the express image of God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 simply puts it like this. He is the image of the invisible God. As a human being, Jesus provided for us an example of God's character and action in three specific ways. First of all, he provided us an example by demonstrating perfect fellowship with the Father. He said, I and my Father am one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus demonstrated his love for the Father by spending time with him, intentionally spending time with him. Number two, he uh, demonstrated an example of God's character by obeying the Father's will all the way to the cross of Calvary. And then third, he provided an example of God's characters and actions by displaying strong love 
four humans. Think about how many people Jesus touched and ministered to, even when he didn't have time. A a leper, someone that nobody wanted to be around, someone that everybody intentionally stayed away from. Jesus not only walked up to them and talked with them, but he actually provided a physical touch that they had not felt for many, many years and that everyone else was afraid to do. Can you imagine that, being separated from your family because of a disease that you have no way of preventing, a disease that you did not want, and no telling how long they had been around or interacted with any human being, yet this God incarnate, this God in the flesh, reached down and touched and healed the leper. He touched and healed the eyes of the blind men, people with fever, There was no one that Jesus came across that he didn't love, that he didn't care for, that he didn't provide a human touch for. Even those that were in opposition to him. When Jesus hung on the cross and all of his accusers were right there at his feet, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Even his accusers he loved and died for. So when he came as the incarnation, he came as the representative of God to mankind. Point number three, I think is the most obvious point. Jesus came as a man to provide our salvation. He came to provide special revelation. He came as the incarnation and he came to provide our salvation. And the writer of Hebrews does not miss this point. And he spells it out plain and clear. He says, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, mission complete. This is what I came for. I came for your salvation. And that's exactly what the angel told Mary. He said, this is the guy that's going to save your nation and save your people. The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men can become the sons of God. You ever thought about it like that? Jesus Christ, the son of God, became the son of a man so that we, the sons of men, can become the sons of God. Hey, I'm a child of God. I got royal blood flowing through my veins. I'm joined heirs with Jesus Christ. What he has, I got access to as well. My salvation was paid in full. Even though I wasn't there, I know that his blood was shed for me. The Son of God became the Son of Man, so the sons of men can become the sons of God. And the writer of Hebrews points out specifically that he had by himself purged our sins. In other words, there is no other way to have your sins removed than Jesus Christ. He gave his life and purged our sins so that we can become children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, if you want to write this verse down. He says this, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, We shall be 
like him. Man, that ought to make a backslid to shout for joy right there. I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm not what I'm supposed to be, but praise God, one of these days, I'm going to be just like Jesus. I'm trying my best right now. I don't have any excuses. I don't have any crutches. And I'm struggling to make it through this life each and every day. I want to become more and more like Jesus. But I know that as long as I'm on this earth, it's not going to happen. But one of these days, when Jesus Christ comes back, and we rise and meet him in there, thank the Lord, the battle's going to be over. What we've been waiting on all this time, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Purged our sins, what the writer is trying to say here is cleaned. They are purified. They are sanctified. They are spotless because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Folks, if there was any other way for you to have your sins washed away, cleansed and forgiven, then Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. If baptism could wash away our sins, if works could wash away our sins, if being a good person could wash away our sins, then Jesus died on the cross in vain. But none of those things can take away our sins. There is nothing we can do on our own. So Jesus became God incarnate, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and he laid his life down willingly for our sins and for the sins of the world to give us salvation. Point number four. Finally, we see that Jesus was resurrected to reveal the Father's ultimate exaltation. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, and he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Has Jesus been exalted in your life? Have you bowed down the knee of your heart and proclaimed Jesus as Lord God says here that when he was raised up, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he became so much better than the angels. He was exalted far above all creation. Right now, is Jesus the ruler of your life? Have you removed yourself from the throne of your life and placed Jesus Christ there instead to give him charge, reign, and rule? Have you exalted Jesus Christ as a redeeming, reigning king of your heart and of your life. And just as Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, those who bow down to Christ as Lord be exalted as well. John chapter one, verse 12 says this, but as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You'll no longer be a slave to sin. You'll be exalted as a child of God. Revelation 21 says, 21.7 says, He who overcomes shall be 
things. I will be his God and he will be my son. He wants to exalt you as his child, his precious creation. Have you bowed down the knee to the exalted, risen Savior? The one who is the brightness of his glory, as he says here in the book of Hebrews. The one who has obtained a more excellent name than anything in all of creation. Jesus says in John 14, 6, that no one comes to the Father except through, the, through me. That's because he has been exalted above everything else. It's at the exalted name of Jesus Christ that all of us will bow down one day. Either you will bow down to him here willingly or you'll bow down to him when it's eternally too late. Turn with me in the book of Philippians chapter two. But the apostle Paul summarizes the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If you want to be exalted, You've got to humble yourself before God. You've got to be obedient, even to the point of death. I'm willing to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and every uh, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, if you want to draw near to God, it starts right now by bowing down to his son Jesus, by proclaiming him as the Lord of your life, the boss, the master, the king, the ruler, whatever you want to say, and it says right here in Philippians that one of these days every knee will bow down. And so that's what I'm asking you today. At some point in your life, have you bowed down the knee and made Jesus the Lord of your life? God left his home in heaven and came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, his son. And in his life, he was well pleased there are several other places in scripture where you'll see that God exalted Jesus Christ and approved of his ministry. The day that he was baptized by John the Baptist, it says that he was coming up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And then there was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Henry Halley in his pocket Bible handbook said this. He said, God himself became a man to give a concrete, definite, tangible idea of what to think of when we think of God. So as we enter into the Christmas season,
What are your thoughts of God right now? What, what is your image of Jesus Christ, the Son? Have you thought of why he came to this earth and wrapped himself in flesh and blood and became a man to dwell among men? But most importantly, has he entered into your heart and taken control of your life? You see, you can believe in Jesus Christ as a person. Some people believe that he was just a good man, a man. Some people think he was just a spiritual guru. Some people think that he was merely a prophet or a preacher. But until you wrap your mind around the fact that he was God in the flesh and he came to be the visible representation of God the Father and all of the characteristics and attributes were rolled up in Jesus Christ. The book of Colossians chapter one says this, says that he is the glue that holds everything together. In him, all things consist. So right now, if it seems like your life is coming unraveled, you need to take a real close look at who's in control. In your mind and in your heart right now, have you settled the fact that Jesus wants control of your life? The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.